Hey, can I just say how good it is to see y'all and be back together? Uh, man, I, you know, I haven't seen you guys since last year, so I don't know if that's a pastor joke or a dad joke. I don't care. I like them either way. Over Christmas break, uh, my oldest, Tayton, he uh, had some of his money and uh, went to, I don't know, what a dollar store somewhere, and he found five below. Thank you. Five below. <laughs> Bean boozled. The Fiery Five, friends. Bean Boozled, The Fiery Five. Now, now let, let me just, uh, you can see up there, starts with Sriracha, Jalapeno, Cayenne, Habanero, and then all the way up to the Carolina Reaper. Now, um, I was expecting something like, you know, you get like, like hot fries or like, you know, like Doritos that are like the fire edition or, you know, something like that, some hot Cheetos. And, and they're like got a little bit of spice to them, but they're not, not a whole lot to them, you know. That's kind of what I was expecting with this. And then I read the side of the box, and it said, consume at your own risk, keep out of reach of children under the age of 13, pets, and the elderly, which I felt like <laughs> the last one just felt a little unfair. But And then it said, do not consume if you are pregnant, breastfeeding, or have a medical condition. That should have warned me uh, when, before we decided to play the game. So the game goes like this. You get a little spinner thing, you spin it, and then whatever lands on, you got to eat that one, okay? And uh, you just keep going around until people, like, quit, basically how it works. It's no joke. Uh, I made it through. I got, like, a couple of, like, uh, jalapenos and a cayenne, and they were, like, fairly, like, I was like, oh, that's a lot spicier than I was anticipating. Then I got a habanero, and I was, like, just trying to hang on because, like, my son, my youngest, he was still in, and he had, like, been crushing the hot ones, and I was like, oh, man, I can't. And then I got, finally, a Carolina Reaper, and it was, like, some of the worst pain I've literally had in a long time. Uh, I had three glasses of milk, like, and I don't drink milk, okay? Like, that's gross, but I was like, whatever it takes, and then a huge bowl of ice cream, and that was finally how I was able to, like, finally start to feel the rest of my face. Uh, when we decide to become followers of Jesus, when we are willing to say yes to him, say yes, we will follow him and obey him, and you will quickly find that a life with Jesus will bring you to seasons where the heat will get turned up. And you will be tempted to want to quit, to just call it, to sit back on the sidelines, to say no more, let me go get a glass of milk and a bowl of ice cream. Uh, we're starting a brand new series over the next five weeks. It's called Run With The Horses, and it's out of the book of Jeremiah. And as we walk through the book of Jeremiah, we're going to find that as an amazing a person as he was, Jeremiah is just like you and I. Uh, I planned at this point in the sermon to uh, let you guys watch like a five-minute video from the Bible Project that was going to kind of give an overview of the book of Jeremiah, uh, partly because the book of Jeremiah is incredibly long. It's 52 chapters. Um, we've got five weeks, so we've got 10 chapters to cover today. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, 
There's no way in five weeks to actually teach through verse by verse the book of Jeremiah. Uh, It's actually the longest book in all of scripture. What we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're actually going to take a character study of the life of Jeremiah through the book of Jeremiah, five of the most important interactions that Jeremiah had with God, times that God came and met him and had something to share with him, say to him, that was going to shape his ministry and the life of Israel. But it wasn't recorded simply for Jeremiah and Israel, it was also recorded for us today as well. And so instead of uh, walking through, because we can't do a huge long overview and we're not going to get to every piece of the book of Jeremiah, uh, I'm just going to link that on our socials this afternoon. Uh, You can jump on, click the button, and watch that. Uh, What I'm going to do right now, though, is just give us a quick background of what's happening before we dive into chapter 12, which is where we're going to kick off our series today. Uh, Basically, what you have is uh, Israel's in the promised land, okay? And when Israel's in the promised land, you eventually wind up with some kings. You get King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. After King Solomon, uh, the kingdom gets fractured into a north and a south, all right? The northern kingdoms, all their kings except for one are wicked. And so God uh, sends prophets to them as well uh, that they need to repent, uh, prophets that give uh, warning and hope, uh, but the nation doesn't repent, and so God allows Assyria to come and conquer them and carry them off into exile. The southern kingdom, which includes Jerusalem, which is kind of where part of our story takes place today, uh, it actually goes on for about 200 more years. Uh, They have some good kings, some bad kings. Uh, God sends them prophets as well, which Jeremiah is one of. Uh, Jeremiah is actually a contemporary of a couple of other prophets that have books uh, written by them or about them in the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. You might remember Daniel from Daniel in the Lion's Den, or Daniel uh, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who wind up in the fiery furnace. Uh, That's a contemporary. Uh, We don't know if Jeremiah knew Daniel, but we know that Daniel knew Jeremiah. In fact, Daniel quotes Jeremiah. The other one is Ezekiel. Ezekiel also has a book in the Old Testament, and he is also a uh, contemporary of Daniel and Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, doesn't just have a hand in the writing of Jeremiah. Okay, he also writes the book of Lamentations. Uh, Jeremiah, the book itself that we're going to be kind of talking about over the next five weeks, actually spans like 40 years. So it's a long chunk of time. Uh, It's uh, partly happening in Jerusalem, okay? Uh, It's also partly happening in Egypt because Jeremiah winds up in exile, uh, not in Babylon, who actually comes and kicks the southern kingdom's tale. Uh, there's the, there the, the judgment that God brings uh, to Jerusalem. But he actually gets taken and exiled down to Egypt, which is already under Babylonian control. Uh, there's five different kings that live during this time of Jeremiah's life. Like I said, over 40 years, 52 chapters, and it's not even written chronologically. It's basically all of Jeremiah's uh, sermons, if you will, and his poems that uh, his buddy Baruch, who's like his scribe, okay, secretary, is the guy that takes all the notes for him, uh, he puts it all together. And then Baruch also 
grabs a bunch of stories out of Jeremiah's life, and that's what the book of Jeremiah is actually all about. It's about how God has sent Jeremiah to bring a message of warning and a message of hope to the people of Israel. And we're going to find ourselves in chapter 12 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. Now, let me give us just a little bit of context to chapter 12 where we find ourselves. Uh, Jeremiah uh, is from a town called Anatoth. I think we've got a map that I'll show you up there. You see Anatoth up there? Uh, It's three miles away from Jerusalem. Anatoth is one of the cities that when uh, Israel, uh, the the tribes, came into the promised land and the land was divvied up, uh, the Levitical uh, priesthood, they were not given any land of their own. Instead, they were given cities in all of the other tribes' land. So Anatoth is actually one of the Levitical cities. This is where Jeremiah is from. We don't know if Jeremiah was a priest himself, but he probably would have been brought up to at least be trained to be a priest, and all of his family members would have been uh, priests, so extended family, etc. It was a priestly town. Uh, Many of them uh, lived in Anatoth, but would come down to work at the temple in Jerusalem. But that's where much of the actual corruption in Israel is taking place. They talk about God with their mouths, but with their hearts, they're living a completely different life. Uh, Social injustice injustice is running rampant. Uh, They're not just worshiping Yahweh, they're also worshiping uh, Baal. Uh, Some have even gone into having uh, child sacrifices. It's a terrible time to be alive, and God has called Jeremiah into this space to give a message of warning and a message of hope. The warning is, if you don't turn, God's going to bring a country to come and bring his judgment. And they don't, and so God does come and bring Babylon, okay? But there's also a message of hope that God won't just allow Babylon to get it, because Babylon's not a great place either, not to get away with it either, and that one day he's going to bring them back into the promised land, and anyone that's willing to honor Yahweh as the one true God will experience God's blessing. Well, that message, though, starts with Jeremiah in his hometown, all right, where many of the priests at the temple that are corrupt actually live. And so Jeremiah starts there in his hometown, and as you can imagine, uh, his message kind of goes over like a lead balloon. And the people there hate him. And these are his own, this is his hometown, this is his people, his family. And what we find in chapter 11 is they, they have made a plot to now kill him. They don't like his message, they want him dead, Pick up the story, Jeremiah chapter 12. We're going to read starting in verse 1 through verse 4. Jeremiah's complaint. You are always righteous, Yahweh, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. You see what he does there? He's like, all right, God, like, you're always righteous. Like, when I, like I, know, you're, I know you're right. I know you're good. But he's like, but I got a beef. I got a beef with you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them. He recognizes, look, God, you're allowing this to happen. You planted them. They've taken root. They grow. They bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but you're far from their hearts. It's like when somebody wins a Grammy. Yo, 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 got to give all glory to God, yo. Yo, yo, and, and, and blinky, blink, blink, do, do, do. 
speak about you with their lips, but their hearts are far from you. And he says, yet you know me, Lord. You see me. You test my thoughts about you. You know that my heart is true. God, I'm trying out here. You know that their hearts are far from you, but my heart is true. He says, drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. You see, that's what they've said they're going to do to him. He's actually quoting what he's heard that they're going to do to him. Back in chapter 11, verse 19, he says, I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. And he's like, God, you know that I'm doing this for you. And yet I'm getting led to the slaughter. They're the ones that are growing and flourishing, producing fruit. They don't care about you. How about you take them to the slaughterhouse? Why am I going there? I'm sick of this. How long will the land be parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have all perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he, speaking of God, God will not see what happens to us. They're taunting you, God. They don't think you actually know what they're really doing. They think they're getting away with it. I'm sick of this. This is my complaint. I know that you're just. I know that you're good. But I got a beef. I don't want to be your prophet anymore. I don't want to do this thing that you, I don't want to live that life. I'm tired. I'm done. (laughs) You ever felt that way? I'm not generally like a doom and gloom kind of a guy. Uh, My wife might even describe me as frustratingly optimistic. But if I'm honest, I see how the world has changed in the last 25 years, at least my culture, Western culture. It's harder to be a Christian these days. It's harder to believe that what God's word says is true and accurate, and good, and honorable. It's harder to stand up and talk about it. It's harder even yet to live it out, to believe it, to proclaim it. When I'm genuinely trying to follow God's ways, God's word, I've experienced the cost. Now, if I'm honest, it's fairly minor compared to what a lot of folks in other parts of the world have to experience, but it's definitely ramping up in the States. It just is. And, and I think about the small cost that it is to me compared to the cost it's going to be to my kids, to the generation that's coming up behind me. I know it's only gonna get harder. There's going to be way more temptation to, to believe the half-truths so that I can hopefully be cool with God and be cool with the culture. So that they'll think that I'm like an insider and hopefully then maybe also God can think that I'm an insider too. There is a cost that is going to be paid. I feel it. When I stand up for God, I feel the culture begin to either lean away or push back. You've probably experienced that in some ways too. Times when you said, man, I don't think that that's the way to go. I don't think that that's the right thing to do, the right thing to say, the right way to behave, and the culture starts pushing on you. 
Or, or you say those same things and, and the culture starts leaning back from you. Like, ah, yeah, yeah, you're a little too crazy, you're a little too weird, you're a little too radical, you're a little too, you're not one of us. The more you learn to stand up for Jesus, the more you will stand out in culture. You learn to look like Jesus, you're going to look less like the culture. You learn to act more like Jesus, you're going to act less like the culture. You learn to think like Jesus, the less you're going to think like the culture. The more you follow Jesus, the less you're going to follow culture. I'm going to put three questions up, and I'm going to just let you read them. What do you think happens when you don't look like, act like, think like, obey, or follow the culture? Is Western culture usually a culture of grace and acceptance for those who are different? What does our culture generally do to those who call out its flaws? Here's what I want you to do with those three questions. I just want you to read them, and then I want you to turn to the person that you came with, and I want you to ask them what they think. And you don't have to answer it the way you think I want you to answer it. I just want you to be honest. What do you really think about this culture? Those three questions. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds, a minute. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and uh, share your thoughts. All right, I'm going to pull us back. I used to think that our culture was uh, more towards the grace side, especially than a lot of other cultures in the world that are uh, kind of uh, shame and honor type cultures. Okay. Um, I don't think that that's actually true anymore. Maybe it was never true. Maybe it's changed, but... Um, we hear the word cancel culture all the time now. If somebody screws up, and I'm not saying that there's not like uh, appropriate justice seeking for people that have done wrong. Uh, there is, right? There is consequence to action. But we never hear anybody talking about the idea of redemption and restoration, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Now we're like, no, no, they need to be fired. They need to be kicked out. They need to be uh, um, destroyed. Don't listen to their music. Don't watch their movie. Whatever it is, right? We live in a cancel culture. Uh, you want to follow Jesus, you're going to become an outcast. You're going to lose prestige. You're going to lose some power. And you're going to lose some influence. Jesus actually kind of told us that this was going to happen. It's what he said in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. So if you are very well loved by the world, you might need to at least take a little bit of stock. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, I'm not saying that, like, every single person in America should hate you, okay? I don't think that's at all what it's talking about. But the culture that we find ourselves in, and quite honestly, it's not just the U.S., West Michigan. It's any culture that man has ever created is going to find itself in conflict with God's word in one way or another. And if we're going to hold on to what God has called us to, just like Jeremiah is wrestling with right now, it's going to cost something. Jeremiah's frustrated we might have more in common with him than we realize. Jeremiah wants to know why the wicked are flourishing. He asks this question to God, what's up? I'm sick of it. I don't want to continue on. And now God is going to answer Jeremiah in verse 5. So let's read this. 
Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, God answers Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? How are you going to run with the horses, man, if you can't even run with just some fools from your neighborhood? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? He's talking about the Jordan River. And along the banks of the Jordan River would be really, really thick, heavy uh, thicket, okay? Lots of weeds and brush. Uh, it's actually where lions and leopards uh, would hide out because they could get through it really easily and they could attack you without you even recognizing. Really, really difficult uh, for humans to be able to make their way through it. He's like, man, if you can't even handle the, the level ground, how are you going to deal with the thick stuff that's way, way harder, way, way scarier? Jeremiah has a frustration with God, wants to call it quits, wants to give up. And God comes and answers him. And what God basically does is uh, he gives him what, what, I don't even know, grammar people? What do you call a grammar person? I don't know. Grammar something or other? A chiasm, Okay. Uh, what he does here is it's a chiasm. So he actually has two chiasms. A chiasm is just a fancy way of saying that they're structured to emphasize the thing that's in the middle. All right? So I'm going to use the ESV version. I'm going to throw, throw it up here so you can see it a little bit easier. Uh, they're just a little closer to the Greek here. So it says, if you have raced with men, Jeremiah, and they have wearied you, see what's in the middle, how are you going to compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, you think you, think you got it all together because everything, how are you going to deal with the thicket of the Jordan? And what God is basically trying to say to Jeremiah here is two things. Number one, you may be tired, but there's more in you than you think. There's more races to be won, more uh, harder races to be run, okay? Uh, you've been running with some fools from the neighborhood. I, I, I'm getting you. You need to be getting ready to run with horses. Uh, there's hotter jelly bellies to taste is what he's saying, right? You think this is spicy? Just wait. And then the second thing that he's doing, he says, you believe some lies that you need to let go of. You believe some lies that this is going to be easy, that you think you can be safer if you just give in, that you think life will be better if you quit. You thought that following me was going to be easy. It's not. So uh, can I be honest for a minute? <laughs> when I'm feeling overwhelmed, like feeling like I'm getting beat up, like life is just hard, maybe even feeling like I'm defeated, like I don't see a way out, don't see a way through it. And I come to God. You know what I want God to do? I want him to coddle me. I mean, come on, man. Like, you want somebody to be like, man, T, I get it. Oh, man, you've done so good so far, but this is hard stuff. And, like, you gave it a great shot. You know, like, you should take a day off or, like, a year off or, you know, just go get some ice cream. Like, like I'll handle it from here. Like, you know, it's, a, it's all right. That's not what God does. What's up with that? Jeremiah's like, man, I'm ready to give up. Like, this is like going the exact opposite of what I thought. And God's like, yo, you buck up. You thought that was hard? That doesn't seem very kind. So then I started thinking, because I always have to preach these messages to myself before I preach them to you. And I started thinking to myself, I was like, well, maybe it's because this is the Old Testament. <laughs> I, I, literally, I started having a conversation with God this last week. I was like, this is because it's the Old Testament, right? Like, we got Jesus. 
And what did Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. I'm like, oh. I was like, yes. Like, that's Old Testament. I'm in Jesus' New Testament. And then you know what God said to me? See, that, that invitation from Jesus was not for Jeremiah. That invitation from Jesus was not for you. If you're a follower of Christ, you already have that. You already got that yoke. You're already linked up with him. That invitation is for the person who does not yet know Jesus, who is trying to figure everything out by the ways of the world and is feeling overwhelmed and crushed because nobody can match up to it. That's what that invitation's for. You already are linked up with Jesus. You already have found rest for your souls, but there's still work to be done. It's not a yoke on accident. Buck up. I didn't like that. <laughs> Just being honest, didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to pay attention to that kind of speak because, quite honestly, there are times when it just feels better for me to quiet quit. Oh, I'll still do everything, right? Got a paycheck that comes in. I got to preach. I got to lead a staff. But is my heart really there? Do I really want to become a sequoia or am I just satisfied staying a sapling? And this is kind of what God comes and says to Jeremiah. What is he describing to Jeremiah? I think this is what he's describing. It's an invitation into a life of adventure and power, but also of pain and of joy and of purpose and of passion, of suffering, but ultimately of victory. That's what God is calling us into. And it only comes through a life of perseverance in hope. Vitislav uh, Gardovsky is a Czech philosopher, a martyr. He actually died for his faith back in 1978. He wrote a book called God is Not Yet Dead. And in it he says this. The terrible threat against life is not death, nor pain, nor any variation on the disasters that we so obsessively try to protect ourselves against with our social systems and personal strategies. He says this, the terrible threat is that we might die earlier than we really do die. Before death has become a natural necessity, the real horror lies in just such a premature death, a death after which we go on living for many years. You see, for Jeremiah, he already knew the end of the story. Just a few verses later, God's going to explain to him how he's going to use Babylon to take care of the people that want to kill him. And then how God is also going to judge Babylon for doing that very same thing. And only people who see Yahweh as God and God alone are the ones that are going to find blessing. He knows the end of the story. The problem is, is he's not going to experience it himself. He has to believe it by faith. And so by faith, he's got to live this life that says, I'm not going to get tired and quiet quit. I'm not going to die before I'm actually dead. And he also has to decide for himself, am I going to hold on to hope? 
even a hope that I might not see in my lifetime. He had to believe that there was something more than simply the life he was experiencing right now. And when he did that, and as he did that, he began to experience the blessing of God, a peace from God. He began to drag the present into the future. And friends, we know the future too. We know that Jesus is going to return one day. We know that he has promised that he's going to do that and make all things right. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be redeemed, restored, refashioned. It doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy right now, but it does mean that we win. We've heard the end of the story. So who are you really going to trust? Who are you really going to believe? And don't tell me, show me. Now, I know this feels like a little bit in your face. Prophets tend to do that. But I think that there's something that I needed to hear this week. That God's not done with me yet. That he knows that there's more in me than I can even see. That he's worth holding on and persevering in hope. As I was thinking about this, there were kind of two things that really, that God said that really kind of became the foundation for the rest of Jeremiah's life. We see it right here. First thing that I think each of us need to possibly consider because they could be foundational for the rest of our lives if we allow them is you may be tired, but there's a lot more in you. Some of you just need to hear that. This isn't the call to not settle for average. Some of you know in this room that you've kind of quiet quit on God. Yeah, you still go to church, maybe still in a small group, but if you're honest with yourself, like you're not convinced. You don't want to do the hard. You don't want to experience it. You're just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't want to lose my standing with the world. The, the second thing is that you've believed some lies, some of us that you need to let go of. What lies have you believed? Jesus did not promise that this was going to be easy following him. He promised that he would do it with us. He promised that blessing comes from it, but he didn't promise that it was going to be easy. Not simply prosperity, but purpose, not ease, but victory. Sometimes we have to believe in the spring even while we're in the dead of winter. Do you know why I know the spring's coming? Because I've experienced it 48 other times. But I still don't like being in the winter. Uh, there's a song that I have been uh, listening to on repeat. Uh, it's a song, I don't know, it's probably four or five years old now, uh, called Seasons by Hillsong United. And uh, just in the last, like, three or four weeks, I've, been, I've probably heard the song, like, 50 times. The lyrics um, go like this. Like the frost on a rose, winter comes for us all. Oh, how nature acquaints us with the nature of patience. Like a seed in the snow, I've been buried to grow, for your promise is loyal. From seed to sequoia. In the bridge, he says, you're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. And I don't know where you're at today. But I think, uh, in fact, if I could have you just pop back um, to those two questions just so we can have them. What I want to do as we close uh, this morning is I just want you to think about those two questions. Okay? You may be tired, but there's more in you. Don't quiet quit. Don't give up. 
Don't throw in the towel. And then you've believed some lies that you need to let go of. I just want you to sit with God in those two questions. And as you're doing that, um, I'm going to actually play with the, with the lyrics, uh, the song that I just quoted a little bit from. And this is actually how we're going to end our service today. We're going to let those words, that song, wash over us. Let God speak to us in the midst of that. And then I'm going to come up and pray for us when that's done. So just find a comfortable spot and give God permission to speak to you in this moment. Allow these words to wash over you. Like the frost on a rose Winter comes for us all Oh, how nature acquaints us With the nature of patience Like a seed in the snow I've been buried to grow For your promises, loyal From sea to sequoia Yeah.
African-American friends would say, he may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. As we close, I'd like you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to pray for um, two groups of people this morning. If... uh, God's calling you to run with horses, but it's been hard lately, and so you've just kind of given up, kind of quiet quit. Today is a day that you just need to say, God, I'm back in again. I'm back in. You can have me, all of me. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Sometimes we need to do something um, physical as a way to kind of challenge ourselves and the decisions of the ways that God's speaking. So if that's you, uh, everybody's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I just want you to raise your hand so I can see it, so I can pray for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think there's another uh, set of us in here that it's just been really hard lately. Maybe life has not gone the way that you anticipated, that you thought, that you expected. Maybe you're feeling some real pressure uh, from the world. Maybe they're pushing on you. Uh, Maybe they're pulling away from you. Either way, it's really, really hard. You're feeling that. And God is calling on you today to say, uh, don't give up. Don't give up. I need you just to keep holding on, to persevere. And maybe you're barely hanging on right now. And you just need prayers for perseverance. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to be able to pray for you too. Mm-hmm. Persevere, yep. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Father God, you see not just the hands but the hearts. Jesus, you know the things that you've been saying to me in this last week. God, what... Uh, what lies I've believed. God, the times that, that I, I just want to kind of pack it in or, or just kind of skate with a very average faith. And God, you're calling us to something radical, something that's so much better. God, you know that it's hard. It's why you promised to do it with us. You did it with Jeremiah. You didn't let him go on his own. You might not always come when I want you, but God, you're always there when I need you. You know me better than I know myself. So I pray for those today that said they wanted to stop quiet quitting. (laughs) They wanted to just say, I'm back in the game. God, let them find somebody today before they even leave this building that they can just say that to. They can just acknowledge that. As scary as that might be, Maybe it'll be a shock to their spouse, a shock to a family member, a shock to a friend because uh, they've just hit it so well. Father, for those that are just barely hanging on, just like Jeremiah felt like, God, I don't know if I can keep going on. I don't know if I want to keep going on. God, would they just experience right now just an overwhelming sense of your presence?
that you have not left them alone. That Jesus, they are linked up, yoked up with you. And it is in you and with you that we find purpose and passion. We hang on to faith even in the season of winter, knowing that the spring is coming, what you started, you promised you would bring to completion and you were always good on your word. We love you. Thanks for loving us. It's in your beautiful and powerful name. We pray all these things, Jesus. Amen.